Hi there, and welcome back to episode 7 of After You. I'm Jane. And I'm Tarzan. And this week we're going to be talking about whether or not feminism is still necessary today with a focus on the financial implications such as the gender pay gap. Okay, I'd like to quite stop you there if you don't mind, Jane. I would like to discuss what happened last evening between you and I. Okay. Okay, so we're at a restaurant with friends and uh, we were having food and wine and everything was great. And the evening was brilliant. Nothing happened ill towards. However, you didn't stand up for a point which I think should be part of your uh, ideology if you believe in intersectionality as much as feminism currently claims to be, which is when our friend said she's putting on her Camino and she herself is not Japanese. I would say you not standing up for that within the same plane as ideology of intersectionality is she might as well have been calling herself or someone else a nigger or some other terrible word. Where were you then? So I might be thinking that you believe that her own kimono was an example of cultural appropriation. No, I believe her wearing a kimono is perfectly a, a celebration of the culture that she was happy to wear. But that's not the current trend these days, is it? The current trend is you wear a kimono, you've got to be Japanese. So the reason, I think you're completely correct that I am against cultural appropriation, but why I didn't feel the need to argue it in this case was I don't think it was an example of a culture being appropriated. It wasn't like it was, it, like you could have even argued that this was, she was wearing a cardigan or a shrug, and it wasn't... She specifically stated kimono. But then that's a item of clothing like a t-shirt or a shirt or trousers rather than trying to appropriate a culture. Okay. Like this is an eight this is a kimono that's a high street brand with colours that so much. It was in it in it was by no means supposed to be representative of Japan. I get that. So whenever we turn things into high street brands, whenever they've been de hojimized, de hejomanai, whatever you say that right? The devil wears Prada. <laughs> yes. So whenever uh, that cardigan's that colour, because four years ago it was like a high standard, right? I mean, I was saying the same stuff around uh, how we label things as being different within the intersectional. Again, not feminism in this particular case, the intersectional aspect of things. I'm sorry, I think I've lost you. Can you explain that a little bit? Of course, more? no problem. So, within feminism... This is right, this is wrong, let's get liberty, let's get more freedoms for women. Super intersectionality, as again we discussed last night. You've got a uh, person in a wheelchair that's going to be rowing along with you in order to say, I disagree with this. And you're on a, let's say a lesbian march, right? Yay. Then the person in the wheelchair will be rowing along, like, yay, let's get gay men more rights. Brilliant. But then the person in the wheelchair will be rolling along. And where's everybody else when it comes to their rights? So intersectionality 
requires everyone to stand together and stand up at every single opportunity to point out the wrong and say, let's get this corrected. And in my opinion, if we're going to take cultural appropriation as being a wrong, which I don't, but if we are going to take that as a wrong, then where the hell was uh, the army? So, just think, so, just to make it clear that we're on the same page and just to kind of bring it back a little bit, mm -hmm. when we talk about intersectional feminism and intersectional rights, it's about recognising that, yes, you face certain challenges as a result of being a woman, but you might also face certain challenges and discrimination as a result of other things such as your race or your sexuality, whether or not you're disabled, um, and of course we need to recognize those challenges and on the flip side of that also recognize our privileges. And I think we touched on this a little bit last week about how often sadly feminism often doesn't do this. This is why fe you know white feminism is such an issue. However, I do think in an ideal world and what we should be striving for is changing the narrative of feminism so that it is intersectional feminism. So it does take into account of everyone's differences and personal struggles and challenges that they might be facing. And that's absolutely brilliant. I love that. Thank you very much, Jane. Where were you last night when cultural appropriation was going on? I don't think that was an example of cultural appropriation. This wasn't my friend sitting there who is white in dreadlocks or wearing, in very much air quotes, boxer braids. This is her wearing a floral cover-up. Okay, however, I've got to be honest with this, where do you get to be the censor? I don't. I think uh, a lot of people, myself included, have definitely wrongly appropriated a culture just by not thinking about it. And often as well, like, not pr I'm not proud of this, but I know I've definitely done things that are insensitive because it doesn't impact me. I've never had to think about it. That's what privilege is. And so an example of that being something like dressing up, for example, for cowboys and Indians. And now with such a spotlight on cultural appropriation, we now know that that's seen as appropriating... Um, Native Americans and is, and is wrong and you're completely spot on when you say I'm not the one who gets to, gets to decide what is and what isn't cultural appropriation it's got to be people who belong to that culture because I can't say I can't put words in their mouth I can't say this is being derogatory towards my culture this doesn't feel right to me like that is completely out of my hands one thing I will say though is that I do try and obviously sometimes not always to enough of an extent I do try to find out about examples of cultural appropriation to see examples so that I can try and maybe work out what like I know I don't want to offend anybody I don't want to be inappropriate and I've for example, I know that things like dreadlocks and cornrows are considered incredibly inappropriate by most people of colour. You know, dressing up as a in the cowboys and Indians, inappropriate. I've never, and this isn't to say it doesn't exist, but I've never ever 
come across anything about Japanese people feeling that kimono is now being part of mainstream fashion being wrong. And I will happily hold my hands up and apologize if I find somewhere and uh, pe Japanese people saying, you know what, we are offended by the fact that this is part of our culture and it's now part of mainstream fashion, I will happily concede. But I've never come across that, and that's not to say it doesn't exist. Right. I'm perfectly fine with that, Jane. Thank you. That's a very good uh, exploration of the self. Thank you. I'm curious as to why you need to be told something's... Uh, culture appropriate before you get to say you can't do that where does the censorship come in do you have to be told and again who tells you so it's difficult isn't it because of course you should take responsibility for your own actions and it's not the job of people who are part of a different culture to tell the re what's respectful your yeah. exactly however it's such a grey area because I also feel like exactly what you said I don't get to decide what appropriating someone else's culture looks like when I don't belong to that culture. And yes, there's some things which I do think are common sense. Like, like, don't fucking blackface. Like, you can be an idiot and realise that is stupid and wrong and dickish behaviour. Or do blackface, but do it for the wrong reasons. So that it really shows up. And lets you know why not to. And again, a good example of that. A good example of that in my favourite movie... Is Trading Places from 1984. Dan Great Aykroyd. Movie. Dan Aykroyd at some point puts on blackface to present himself as an African within a train. The guys is very very comedical, and uh, yeah, uh, it's a brilliant brilliant little scene. Yes, it's wrong. Yes, there's everything wrong about it, but that's what makes it funny. And so sometimes being wrong is being showing why it's wrong. Yeah, I think something that does definitely shine a light, and I think one of the best ways to win arguments is often pointing out the absurdity of something or just pointing something out. Like, to go slightly back into feminism, like one of the best pieces of advice I was ever given when I was talking to a group of... Um, it was part of this feminist discussion group, and I went, I want to say true to myself and my views, and given the way that I choose to live my life, I'm often meeting new groups of people and I want to stay true to my beliefs. However, I don't want to argue with people the minute I've met them. Um, but I do want to express my opinion or and hold people accountable to when I think they've said or done something that's wrong. And the suggestion I was given was just ask them to clarify it for you. So if they make a sexist joke, turn it back on them. Can we, sorry, I've lost you. Can, you. can you explain that to me, please? Sorry, I don't get it. So, and as soon as you're forced, when you're making a sexist or racist joke or comment, uh, or another, if you're forced to explain yourself, you end up kind of tripping yourself up. And I agree that maybe the same idea applies by making something funny or absurd. It can, in some limited circumstances, actually shine a light and actually be a really valuable way of putting a spotlight on something that isn't appropriate and definitely at the very very least uh, creating a conversation which I know we're both huge fans of and again to bring something we've spoke off uh, record with as I've always said exhaust your uh, opponent that's not to win that's to let them fully uh, 
explain their argument, and hopefully when they hear themselves saying everything out loud, they then find the holes within their own argument, and so you don't actually have to even have an argument against them, because they've heard everything. Try and bring that back into what we're talking about, or what I'm wanting to talk about. We've got a friend who's a lovely person, and they put on an item of clothing. Very simple things, right? But if we're going back to like simple things like benevolent sexism and all the rest, why are they putting on an item of clothing which I would say came from Japan? And again, you didn't say to them that's inappropriate no, or that's wrong or anything. Because I really, I'm just even saying this over and over again because I didn't feel like it was inappropriate. And something we've spoken about at length is about nuance. Mm -hmm. And when I know this person, I know she does not have a racist bone in her body. Oh, she's brilliant. And, yeah, she's an absolute which is an angel, right? And why did she wear it? Because it was pretty colours and it matched her top. Right. That you're not, she's not doing it to dress up as somebody. To, she's not doing it to try to represent her. She's also, as well, the other reason she's wearing it is because it is part of mainstream fashion. It is now considered. Okay, Jane, all I'm saying is at what point does this person stop being our friend, mm. who's, like you say, an absolute delight to be around? Of course. And when do they start being a neo Nazi? Like, where do they put on a Camino? Where do they put on an outfit? start being, uh, you, you've crossed the line. And that's just my question, like, where... I think you should always hold your friends accountable. And something which I enjoy very much about our friendship is the fact that I think you definitely hold me accountable if yes. you know very, very much so. And you will push me and challenge me to the point, actually, the same friend who we're talking about here kind of went, oh, like, do you not find it sometimes difficult? You two are clearly quite close, and yet you have some very strong opposing opinions which like no one would blame you if you're like yeah not my cup of tea not someone I'm going to choose to spend my time with I would but agree with you I wouldn't and, support this as your friend yeah and please I don't want to put words in your mouth but I think a lot of it is down to that we question each other we challenge each other's views we hold each other accountable we pick holes in each other's argument mm -hmm. and enjoy that it's and recognize that we I think one thing that we both very much agree on is that we're not we're still very much evolving as people we are going to, our views are going to evolve and the only way for that to happen is for them to be questioned and something I'm trying to make a very conscious move towards is getting out of my echo chamber a lot more or as uh, Tarzan very eloquently puts it the circle jerk and what better way of doing that than having a sit-down conversation with someone who disagrees with a lot of my ideolo ideologies and that's all fine and again I'm not saying I've got any answer here because I don't. I never will. I've got a whole bunch of questions, and one of them, uh, one of them is uh, when you hear what you think is a, a wrong, try and write it immediately. And again, sometimes that might not be the case because of external circumstances, but immediately your impulse should be, in my opinion, to at least try. I completely agree with that. I think. I know, I'm sounding like a broken record. I just don't think this was an example of where someone needed to be called out. This wasn't someone... It, okay, so it would be very, very different 
um, given where we currently live, it would be very easy for this person to go to a salon and get dreadlocks or cornrows yep. or something. I, as much as I love this person, I would 100% call her out on doing that. I would tell, and I'd really like to think as well that she would appreciate that. Like, and well, she wouldn't do it. No, and I think it would just be, a, and I'd really like to think that she would actually appreciate that, and it probably would just be a case of, oh, shit, I hadn't thought about it like that. Okay, well, okay. And I mean, maybe this is obviously a hypothetical situation, so maybe it wouldn't go down <laughs> like that. Jane, Jane, my, my, my thing here isn't people doing things like children mm. and, you know, incorrectly mischaracterising their ideologies or their stereotypes of what they think a culture or a person or people can be. So wearing a Mexican hat for a child isn't wearing a Mexican hat for a child. When you're, next, uh, when you're an adult, wear a Mexican hat. It's a Cinco de Mayo, right? Most Mexicans will be like, cool, no problem. The pious authoritarian left use the ideological framework of intersectionality, of which feminism can apparently be part of, is my argument. Most people don't mind. You want to take, you want to take the piss out of being Scottish? Fine. We're, we're misers, we're drunks, we're, we're Shrek, even though Shrek's voiced by Canadian. <laughs> we're fine with all that, right? And I think most people you're talking about here and me in the far left are also fine with this. I think there's a loud minority, maybe not even necessarily a loud minority, but it's clickbait. All of those stories about using phrases like being woke and snowflakes, it's because they're stirring the pot. It makes news. And yes, of course, there are going to be a few people who, I don't know where the line is, but maybe do take it too far. But I do, I do think that's in the minority, and we're made to believe by the media that there's way more people that feel that way than not for clickbait yeah. and to try to divide us and make it feel way more extreme than it actually is. So again, we're going back to the media. Mm -hmm. It seems to be a regular kind of thing we're doing within our conversations without trying. So being told who to be. And, you know, being who you are, the definitions and what's right and what's wrong seem to be expressed by somebody else. I think the media sometimes does try to do that. I mean, the media does try to maybe hold up a mirror um, on society, like definitely opinion pieces do that. Um, of course, we shouldn't be looking to the media to tell us what's right and wrong, but we should be definitely using the media as one way of learning about other people's experiences and views and using that as a means of hopefully evolving our own views and learning about challenges and privileges that other people experience that are outside of our circle or out, just outside of ourselves. Um, I'm with you, right? So when I want to be a playboy millionaire, I can watch James Bond, I can drive a fancy car, have all the hot women, I can do all the cool things and be entertained in that respect. In my real life, I can't do any of that. So, am I wrong for watching all these things, which, you know, apparently are gratifying to my personal tastes? Or am I being a sexist male? 
because I'm applauding something made by the media, or is the media just looking to be some sort of little bitch in the middle that's mm. wanting to moan? So art and censorship is pretty much where I'm going with this one. Listen, there's so much at play here, isn't there? You know, things like censorship, um, how much things like having opinion pieces, even if they're stated as being opinion pieces, are often read by as people fact. as as fact. Yep. Um, and many times newspapers have been forced to issue apologies, often for things that are making headline news, and yet their apology is something that you need a magnifying glass to see on page 28. And then how can you blame people for treating that information that they'd read, you know, the day before, the week before, as fact? And I think the media at its best can educate us, it can help us empathise with others, but it is so, so, so important for us to look at the sources of where the information is coming from, who has written it, and recognizing that everyone's going to be writing with a bias. Like, even if it's not an opinion piece, you can't help it. Everyone has an unconscious bias. And often people are writing with some kind of a, an agenda. I think it's rare not for that not to be the case. And therefore realizing that whatever you're reading just knowing what, having a bit of an idea about what this agenda is will help you be more critical rather than just being a passive participant in what it is that you're reading. I completely and utterly agree. However, I'm going to say that perhaps the media is needless these days. Perhaps we can uh, cut out this uh, middle narrative which isn't giving us the genuine truth and it's filling us with opinions, which again comes back to this opening point that I had. Apparently somebody was wearing an item of clothing which wasn't appropriate for them. And I was curious as to why you, an intersectional feminist, didn't pull them up for it, because I was very curious about the intersectionality part, not the feminism part. I was curious as to why the intersectionalism didn't look after well, apparently, within intersectionality, would have been called up for. And again, I'm blaming the media for the entire lot. <laughs> so you you don't think the media is necessary or certain media outlets? Like, I think, please correct me if I'm wrong, you recognise that there is a need for us to be getting information about what's happening in the world. Like, how would you like to see that information being shared with the world, like what changes would you say would be a step in the right direction? We need, we need information about what's going on in the world. If my flight is cancelled, I need to know about that. If there's a big war somewhere, I need to know about that. If there's a pile of people getting really uh, put down, I need to know about that. These are important things, and these turn into books, which I read, and then I then can imagine in my head what these uh, atrocities are, or sometimes happy days. That all said and done, I'm not wanting to read some 18 to 25 year old go, oh, 25 things you didn't know about Israel, they hate Muslims, 
that's not an article that I want to read, okay? That is just clickbait and that is just creating confrontation. And that is not something that I find newsworthy. And so, yes, I've got a difference between opinion and news, and apparently news itself has forgotten about that. Okay, but then I think it's then so subjective to what should qualify as news, because what is important to you is going to be completely different for somebody else. Obviously, different things are important to different people. And I know I'm not, I'm not proud of it, but I de- like BuzzFeed is one of my guilty pleasures. And I enjoy those completely vapid... 13 ten, things you exactly. didn't know about Spider-Man, And it always right? has to be an odd number, doesn't always it? Always odd number, right? And occasionally, usually it's actually after I've read something that's a fairly hard-hitting piece of journalism, I then enjoy reading something that is inconsequential. Well, I've got a friend who watches Watch Mojo on YouTube, and they are just overjoyed with the ridiculous amounts of nonsense that is Watch Mojo. I've never watched Mo- Watch Mojo. However, what I can say is... When you read a clickbait piece, and you enjoy it, fair enough, right? Nothing wrong with that. And then you read another, and fair enough. At some point, you've got to think, do you think? And if you don't ever stop and think, do I think? Then you are just a cattle. You are just consumer. And in which case, BuzzFeed or whoever, they're winning. And that's great. Everybody's getting paid, everybody's getting happiness, it's all good. For me, news is what is ideologically important at a fundamental level which can represent things such as women's rights. So when you get distracted, you're not focusing on the prize. And again, for me, the prize, as an egalitarian, is freedom and better rights for all. I completely agree, and maybe what we do need to work on is often there is, well there's definitely way more internet traffic going to these inconsequential articles compared to ones that are more important, and I have no idea how to do this, and of course we don't want to force anybody to do anything, but is there a way of, I mean it's made particularly young people, maybe helping recognize the value of reading those pieces and why it is so important to be informed and educated. Is there a way of attracting more people to high-quality journalism? And I really don't know the answers, and it's such a grey area with obviously you can't force anybody to do with what they should do. You can't tell people they've got to read this. Um, like, one of the things that has upset me most recently is the results of Brexit. And where I'm from, the majority, the vast majority of people uh, voted for Brexit, and it's something I feel quite strongly against. And I asked them some questions about why. You know, I was trying to see the other side of the argument, particularly at that point I hadn't lived in the UK for a while, so I was open to the possibility that I wasn't seeing things or reading things that they had, and they weren't able to give me what I thought was any particular arguments. In particular, there was someone who told me, oh, that's just what everyone's doing, isn't it? And again, Uh, this is why I'm having a conversation with you, Jane. 
and I very much enjoy it, I've got to be honest, thank you for it. I have reached out to feminists in the past to try and understand what the, the beef is with the whole thing. And I've rarely, if ever, got a response. Whereas you, no, by all means, speak, but, but, but you have a, at least entertained the concept of a dialogue. And I find that so rewarding, it's unbelievable. I can't thank you enough. No, right back at you. And I think something that would be really great is if we could normalise having a conversation. Because I think what's maybe normalised now is, I used the term before, echo chamber. And I'm definitely guilty of this, of kind of going, well, no, I'm a, I'm, in case you haven't guessed, guys, liberal left. Um, so therefore, I'm going to read The Guardian. I'm going to sign up for this and this. You know, I'm going to read this person's blog. I'm going to read books by this person because that fits in with the narrative of the liberal left. And maybe in trying to, and I have no idea how to do this, but normalise having a conversation, I almost think it's part of our culture to, we're so worried about being polite that people shy away from confrontation and if there was a way for confrontation to be normalised and also recognise that it doesn't have to be this uncomfortable argument, it can just be a, can you, can you tell me that a little bit more? Like, I, I disagree with it, but I would love to know, like, how did you come about that view? Because it is so different from my own. And just as important, make sure it's a dialogue. So it's at least two. It's bouncing off. If you're going to listen to that person's opinion, then they should also listen, listen to yours. To yours. Yeah. Um, and definitely trying to think of ways of building up, teaching critical thinking in schools. Um, and I think most importantly, normalising having a conversation and questioning and that becoming the new norm. Jane, that sounds absolutely wonderful to me. I, I think we've resolved my initial uh, discontent for you. So however, bad. I would oh, like... I knew there was a however of coming. Course, of course there's a, always a however. I would like to uh, look at, at some point, if you should, not the next one, but uh, critical thinking. What is critical thinking? I think that would make a great topic for one of our future podcasts and I think that's probably a great note to end on. I think so as well. Thank you Jane very much. Thank you and thank you for listening. Take care. Bye.